Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, our hosts. Coming up, our, our, our take on Ohio State's Massive recruiting haul at one specific position this week. And who's behind it at the success rate? Arch Manning, uh, currently at the Manning Passing Academy. Should we expect a decision from the nation's top-ranked quarterback in high school? Is that coming sooner rather than later? But we start with a report. Uh, I'm, I'm reading this from TMZ, who has confirmed that uh, the longtime Baltimore Raven and uh, Fox Sports sideline reporter Tony Saragusa has died at the age of 54 years old. Um, TMZ confirming this through Jamal Lewis, a former teammate of his in Baltimore, and a cause of death uh, for him not yet revealed. Um, But uh, sad news at the age of 55. One of the big personalities, and honestly, guys, when I think about where we are in like off-season coverage of the league, it was the 2001 Hard Knocks where the personalities really started to come to light behind the scenes, inside the locker room with that show, and Saragusa was the star. They're about to do a 30-for-30 on that Ravens team, and there will be plenty of footage of the goose behind all the other massive personalities on that roster, Uh, but... He, like a handful of others to follow him, became the personality that we all know, starting with that show. And that, at least that's how I remember him, first and foremost, is through Hard Knocks. And then, of course, through a sideline reporter with Fox Sports and other media outlets. He was a terrific media uh, personality. And I remember just how pissed off he was in 2000 when the Titans had what uh, everybody thought was their best team of that era following up the Super Bowl run when they lost to Baltimore in, in the playoffs as the number one seed. But the Titans beat the Cowboys 31-0 on the last weekend of the season. It was a really, really bad Cowboys team. And that's the Ravens team that everybody thinks of as the great, great defensive team. But yep. they finished second in total defense. Titans overtook them that last week against the Cowboys. I've got the box score in front of me, and I'm trying to look at what... Because of that shutout. Yeah, I'm trying to look at what... uh, But this was yardage defense. I'm trying to look at what the uh, Ravens gained yardage-wise in that game when they had uh, Anthony Wright, who was just awful at at quarterback. I mean, they they had... uh, Cowboys had eight yards, eight yards, zero yards, eight yards, five yards, 26 yards, 14, minus five, <laughs> zero, eight, zero, minus two, minus four, 16, 12, and nine on their drives in that series. And I know oh, Syracuse was watching this game 
That was their drives, their series. Syracuse was furious about it. I was still covering that team at the Tennessee, and Jim Wyatt went up to Baltimore to preview the Titans-Ravens game, and Syracuse was just going crazy about the Titans having taken over that defense, talking about, yeah, they made it, you know, they didn't deserve to be the number one defense. Point scored tells you who's the number oh. one defense, and the Ravens were better and all of that. And he was just livid going into that Titans-Ravens playoff game, which the Ravens obviously pulled the upset and went on to win the Super Bowl. He was such a big, sad news, first and foremost, obviously, but he's such a big personality. We're talking about all these guys who are retiring, and we're immediately talking about their personality lending itself to television immediately. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Richard Sherman, you know, guys who have already been hired. Tony Saragusa was that guy, right? I mean, when he retired, he was one of those personalities that immediately you thought to yourself, this guy's going to be great on TV. I don't know that he ever left that, uh, that end zone when he was a sideline reporter for Fox. Remember, he was like that the was first also guy very unique. Yeah. where he was just behind a goalpost yep. at like a stationary spot. He wasn't walking over to you know, listen into the coach's huddle or talk to the trainers or anything. He was right there the entire time, but it was unique. He was certainly a unique personality and a great player also. So really Dallas, sad news. Dallas had nine net passing yards in that game and 95 total yards behind Anthony Wright. So I heard a best of Howard Stern episode not long ago with Siragusa visit, which was I think not long after his playing days. And he told a story about being constipated before a game <laughs> and everything he went through to try to not be constipated before that game and then giving up. And literally, uh, he, he had taken some stuff to try to loosen up, but couldn't, and literally taped himself in a way <laughs> oh my that gosh. in case his... Like a uh, girdle, like restricted himself? Yeah, he, he duct taped his cheeks together so that if his, So he could stay together? Yeah, so that if the medicine that he took to loosen things up finally <laughs> came into just effect, contain it? he could not, uh, he wouldn't poop himself during the game. He was scared to death then of pooping himself during the game. And then it finally, after the game, came about. But this was – they were playing in uh, Washington from Baltimore, and he stayed behind <laughs> and took a cab home <laughs> because finally things cleaned out after, uh, after the game. <laughs> and he needed so long to deal with all of this that the team left. That is unbelievable. 12 years in the league. He is also like – there's n there will not be another player of his size playing the defensive line. Size and athleticism combo, right? Or lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that in a, a polite way. He was way. a man of his era. He, I mean, there are no more just... Uh, Fat run, guys. Uh, massive dudes that take up space. Uh, it, you got to run sideline to sideline now. There's a, it's a different era of the game playing... There's no more like legit nose tackle. Like Gilbert Tony Brown. Exactly. Um, those are few and far between. And he was 6'3", 340 pounds. Man. Jeffrey Simmons is trying to play at 300 yeah. this season. And uh, is, Aaron Donald is around that size. And is taller. Yeah, and you look at Davis, who was drafted by who? The Eagles uh, out of Georgia. His thing was just how athletic he was at the combine. Everybody marveling at the athleticism. Tony Siragusa was not that kind of athlete. Really sorry to hear it. He was a, he was a terrific personality and a huge piece of, uh, of that Ravens team that was one of the best teams we've seen. So Ohio State is racking it up in, in recruiting this week. Um, so, Chad, 
they had they they had Tate commit earlier this week, uh, and since then they have another five star wide receiver, Brandon Ennis, who has also uh, joined the Ohio State Buckeyes, and Brian Hartline, who's the receivers coach and recruiting guru, is locking these guys in. He's the one that's getting all the the national exposure, not Ryan Day. Well, Brian Hartline has clearly, and I'm not, this is not to take away any respect to Brian Hartline. He has done a great job working media members because there are way too many media members that come to the sport that gush over Brian Hartline and not the head coach, which tells me Brian Hartline's probably in a lot of DMs uh, with media (laughs) members, quite frankly. And that's smart by him because he wants to be a head coach, and I'm sure he's a nice guy, and clearly he's a good recruiter. Here's complaint number two about this. Carnell Tate, five-star the other five-star receiver, go to Ohio State. Now, I look at that and say, pretty good place to go given their first-round draft picks of receiver this past year. No one's going to say, oh, why would you go to Ohio State as a receiver? They've got a good track record in that offense under Ryan Day. It also does just get at me just a bit that in today's era of college football where so much talk is about NIL and collectives, and booster involvement and everything else, that if Carnell Tate would have gone to Tennessee, all of the talk from reporters would not have been about Josh Heupel's recruiting or the position coach at Tennessee's recruiting. It would have been about, boy, I wonder how much money he got to go to Tennessee. I haven't seen that report I have not seen one mention of NIL money at Ohio State. And I am here to tell you, Carnell Tate is getting NIL money to go to Ohio State. He will get it when he arrives. I'm not saying it's straight pay for play, but you damn well better believe it came up in recruiting how much he can make in NIL. Ryan Day is talking about millions of dollars to retain a roster, much less recruit a roster of five stars. And we think he's low. And don't take this as me having an issue with any of that. I don't. I just hate the difference in how things are covered and reported. Carnell Tate goes to Ohio State. Boy, Brian Hartline is the greatest recruiter in college football. If Carnell Tate goes to Tennessee or any other number of schools, we're not hearing a damn thing about who recruited him. It's going to be all about money. Well, we would if, if he did, if he racked up six uh, five-star wide receivers in three years. We would hear about that assistant coach. Well, if it started now, I don't think we would hear about that since at he Tennessee joined or Miami. The, since he joined the coaching staff, he, he has been a part of a coaching staff, and specifically at his position, they have – six five-star receivers um and it go it starts with Garrett Wilson who we just saw uh drafted um and now currently the sixth is Brandon Ennis who joins Carnell Tate but you're you're right there has been no initial report on whatever the offers would be and it's not just Tennessee we would hear that if it were A&M if it were Alabama Miami yes I mean Alabama we'd probably hear about the great Nick Saban or a, a position coach but Outside of a few, and I understand the track record and history with Ohio State recently and Alabama and some of these programs, but if it's Auburn, if it's A&M, if it's Miami, we know the schools that have been talked about, Tennessee, I really don't think we're hearing about coordinators, position coaches, play calling as much as we're hearing about money being involved. They also had an update. They've got another top 50 player nationally today, a four-star player. Uh, to Ohio State. So that is now, since 2019, 15 top 100 wide receivers have ended up in Ohio State, uh, at Ohio State. 
Um, during the same span, the rest of the Big Ten has landed a combined two top 100 wide receivers nationally. Good for them. I'm sure Ohio State fans will argue they're not receiving a dime other than their scholarship they're, money oh, no, to no. be there. Oh, I, I mean, they should be praising it, you know? Well, I'm sure they are. Um, the, the other big NIL question is going to be Arch Manning and how much Georgia or Texas uh, or Alabama end up getting well, what he's able to get um, name, image, likeness. Because it, it's coming down to those three schools, we would presume. I think we all expect Georgia. And based on just reports from the last few weeks, I think the expectation is by the time the high school senior season rolls around, he's going to make an announcement so as not to be some massive distraction on when he's going to make up his mind and what this is all going to be like. Um, with, with that in mind, he, it's not happening this week uh, because Archie Manning and Peyton and Eli, uh, and Cooper for that matter, they are notoriously closed-lipped when it comes to recruiting this week at the Manning Passing Academy. Very strict on it being about football and not anything else when it goes to when if you're uh, a senior that, that or a, a rising high school player that is invited to that camp um, or if you are one of the college players like the colleges don't send two quarterbacks if there's a quarterback controversy they ask that they only send one if you're invited to be a, ca- a camp counselor because they don't want reporters there asking about anything other than football and so that that's why I say I would be stunned if something comes out with Arch Manning this week at the Manning Pass Academy, which which starts tomorrow. But beyond that, I think we're we're close to knowing something one way or the other. I, I doubt it's over the July fourth weekend. To me, that's not the the top time to announce it if you're trying to be the top headline of the week. And personally, like that's how if I'm the university, I want that exposure at max capacity in the off season. Um, and it would be a great boost to any SEC school going into SEC media days, knowing that Arch Manning just selected your school, and that's a great talking point. But I, I'm not expecting Chad for it to happen over the next couple of days. I do think we're close to learning something, though. Well, and they still can't even talk about it uh, per NCAA rules. They, they can't speak about people who aren't on campus uh, or aren't officially signed before uh, it, at SEC media days. I, guys, I don't know how he's going to do it because I don't know if he wants the attention. It's going to be the biggest recruiting story in years whenever the news gets out. No helicopter. But I've thought a lot about, I mean, is he going to have the traditional hat ceremony? Is he going to do it on one of his uh, uncle's television shows? Or is it just going to get out there well, to a family, friend, and media? I think they'll handle it. I mean, th- there will be some type of announcement. I mean, there are, there are videos of Peyton selecting Tennessee from his early days in the way that, I mean, they, they, they'll handle it the Manning way as best we can describe that. But it's not. I don't. It's not going to be. You put on one hat and then you throw it to the side and grab the other, and then you've got some shirt on. Like it's. I think there will be a much more professional tone Low to it, cheese. right? But there, I, I think they do have to announce it in some way. You think they do it through um, Omaha Productions? I mean, I, I think the way personally, the way I would do it is you've got an uncle with a pretty big media presence, two of them, and you use Omaha Productions to pre-produce a video. With the announcement, and, put it on and Twitter. you put it somewhere that's important to the family. Maybe it's a website for a charity or something yeah. like that, and you get every, you push everyone to that, and you watch the video through that website. I, I just I ask this question because his recruitment has been so hush hush, and everyone wants to know everything about it. He's not talking. 
His family's not talking. Peyton and Eli both do a great job of deflecting and not saying a word about their nephew when asked about it. I just don't think it's going to be your standard announcement, however it's announced. I mean, I, I could. it would not surprise me if this is just given to a family friend in media to break the news or what I said to start, some sort of Omaha production video that's put out there. I don't think it's going to be some, let's get uh, 2,000 people to uh, the Jeez. high school to come here and watch this ceremony for me to select a school. Well, I don't family, see it happening with The them. family friend in media has got to be an ESPN person based on Omaha Productions' relationship so. with ESPN. Um, I think is it would also be a massive really, partner of the SEC. I don't think they'll do this, but I think it would be hilarious if you got Cooper, Peyton, Eli, Archie involved in some sort of funny video about passing the torch. And, of course, if he ends up at Georgia or somewhere different, where it's like them plotting how, you know, now he's going to go to Ole Miss or now he's going to go to Tennessee and they're going back and forth and he picks Georgia. I, I'm not the writer for them, but they could come up with something that clever. would be clever and funny Memorable. and get the word out with all those guys involved. Arch will be there at the Manning Pass Academy as, as expected. So um, the 45 starting or likely starting college quarterbacks from around the nation that have been invited um, – are the camp counselors. And then they have roughly, what is it, like thirteen to 1,400 quarterbacks from like middle school to rising senior that are attending the camp. Um, a camp that, by the way, is open to the public. You can pay like 15 bucks and go watch all these quarterbacks. Uh, not just work out, but you can see all the college quarterbacks. The Mannings have never missed a single day of this camp over the years. All three, four of them. And they legitimately, this is not like your ceremonial head coach comes in and gives the morning speech and disappears and lets the assistants, the players handle it. They're out there working with the kids. You know, they, they get into competitions against each other. They're, they are way into this. And the winner of the skills competition every year amongst the college quarterbacks is a pretty big honor. I mean, you go through the list of guys who've won it and they'll surprise you some years with the star quarterbacks that are there. I know Hendon Hooker from Tennessee is going to be one of the camp counselors this year. Yep, he's there. Uh, most Tennessee quarterbacks will get the invite through Peyton, but it's it's a very cool event. In fact, Open to be scouted? I mean, I, there's nothing that public, would prevent scouting, uh, Scout from purchasing a ticket. I don't think it, you get access to these guys easily uh, because Archie has said uh, publicly that this is not going to be about name, image, likeness. That that I wouldn't be as worried about scouting as much as I think they're agents. concerned about agents coming to get Infiltrate. you know especially with the college guys um, because you've got I mean everyone from like East Carolina's quarterback to Will Levis at Kentucky Chad you mentioned Hendon Hooker uh, Max Johnson from Texas A and M is there this week um, and they don't hesitate to kick you out if you break some type of Manning Passing Academy protocol. Um, uh, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, comes to mind. He went missing at this camp. Remember this? Yes. His whereabouts were unknown, and uh, he has not been invited back. <laughs> yeah, he was. he's like the one, he's the one yeah. guy I remember reports on that didn't show up on time for drills, for coaching kids, and I, someone with a man, he's let him have it. I remember there was quotes like, man, these kids that come to this camp worship the college players that are their coaches. Like, we're not going to have that. 
if you're here, you're there to work. You know, you can do whatever after it's over, but you show up on time to the drills and you coach your team of little kids that are trying to play quarterback. They weren't having Johnny Manziel showing up late. Glenn Gilbo's got a good column up about the details and the history of the Manning Passing Academy. Um, and he points out, like, there's even, a, like, how serious they take it. Peyton was conducting some type of press conference. This was in the last 10 to 15 years and paused the press conference to tell some kid to shut up because he was talking while the press conference was going on. So I, it's one of the few, like... I love that. What happens at the Passing Academy tends to t- stay at the Passing Academy. Right. Reminds me of Coach O. Remember him holding the press conference in the indoor facility hey and stopping and turning around to bark at his team to shut up? He had to do he it twice. To <laughs> twice or three times. First year, Gil- Gilbo points out, 1996, 180 campers. It is now up to over 1,300. And this all takes place at Nichols State in what a Thibodeau. Great, uh, great tradition. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up, the future of football contracts and finances. And what we've seen, not just this offseason, but recent offseasons, but we can point to some very specific instances over the last three months. And then we also take a deeper dive on SEC schedules and point out why Tennessee, Auburn, and Florida, at least to me, if they can get it fixed sooner rather than later, it will enhance a lot of our weekly issues across the Southeastern Conference for the casual viewing audience. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So, leverage is always perceived, right, with these contracts. And if you have a, a, a small percentage of the leverage nowadays in the NFL, you use it to your advantage. But is this, I'm curious what you guys think, is this offseason... Are we on the cusp of seeing a lot more of this moving forward? Or has it been a perfect storm of sorts to some degree where Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown um, used what they could to get traded? We've seen Russell Wilson wanted out. He's out. Um, If Rodgers wanted out, he would have been out, chose to stay, and got paid. Uh, The Packers stepped up to pay him. Quarterback's probably a different category here. But, um, you know, there, we can use Jeffrey Simmons now. Aaron Donald gets paid. Um, Cooper Cup gets extended. 
Jeffrey Simmons is now next in line at the position for the extension. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a, it's a ricochet effect where if Aaron Donald's contract hasn't been worked out to this point when minicamp rolls around, there's nothing to point to if you're on the Jeffrey Simmons side of things, guys, to say, well, maybe we can do this a year early. Maybe not get Aaron Donald money, but I can get guaranteed money right now. And you use that. I, I wonder if, if all around the league players are taking what they can instead of what has been, historically speaking, year three is a year too early for contract extensions or trade demands or anything of that matter. Well, let's carve out wide receiver. And we've had, yeah, that's this, a- we've had this conversation. So if young receivers keep coming in and doing what, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown, to a lesser extent, have done early in their careers, then the need for a team to trade for or give a giant second contract to that guy diminishes and it becomes a replaceable part. Will there be a market for that second big contract for that guy? Yes, but I think it's a shrinking market if you can go get – Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, if all of those guys or the majority of those guys turn out to be very good and you can get a first contract wide receiver, that second contract wide receiver isn't going to break the bank with as many teams, certainly not with his original team. It turns a little bit into what running back has turned into and you just keep replenishing it. We've had this conversation. So for that position – Right now is a prime time to have the leverage because at least half the league wants them. Certainly Philadelphia and Miami and and uh, Las Vegas wanted them. Sure. So for every team that didn't want one, there certainly was a team that wanted one and paid a lot. But what's the trend going to be? Because there have been a lot of wide receivers coming in and doing awfully well. Look at what Cincinnati just got out of Jamar Chase. If it keeps trending that way, I think the value for the veteran guy looking for the second contract has to go down because you can say, hey, you've got a lot of leverage after playing well in your first three or four years, but guess what? I can go to the draft and find another one of you because you guys keep coming out and keep coming out. Well, it's trend and it's cycle. Yeah. And so right now we're in this part of the cycle where these young receivers are getting that second big contract outside of their rookie contract earlier. And you were just talking about all these guys flowing into Ohio State. Mm -hmm. What's Ohio State going to do with those guys? It's going to turn them into more of these guys that are coming into the league. Well, yes. Maybe. You know, for every one of them, there's a bust out there that you think is going to be great. But right now it's trending well. Well, you know, for every Devontae Adams, there's going to be someone you pay the big money. What if A.J. Brown goes to Philly and is not nearly as good as he has been? Or gets hurt. What if Tyreek Hill, we find out, great talent, was much better when he had Patrick Mahomes and is not nearly as effective in Miami? If you, It's not just rookie receivers doing well in their first contract. It's a combination of that. You have to have the second part of that combination, which is a couple of these huge deals need to blow up in someone's face, whether it be Philly or Miami or someone else, because that's when it'll set the trend, what it is right now with these guys getting paid, it'll set that cycle in a different motion of, you know, I could probably do a lot better paying a lot less and taking a smaller salary cap hit with younger guys and paying them that rookie contract. Because we've seen that 
It's not going to work out oftentimes when you pay max money to someone too early. Now, if A.J. Brown were looking up two years from now and saying, man, Philly, that, that was a bargain, what they got from this guy became one of the three best receivers in the game. And it's a, they, they, did, they were smart to get him when they did. Then you're going to have other teams watching that and thinking, not so bad. Maybe I'll pay big money early for a guy, you know, if needed. So to me, it's all about the cycle. I don't think what we're in right now where we're going to see more and more guys playing this every offseason game of maybe I'll show up, maybe I won't, I don't want to get hurt, I've got no reason to show up for this, I want a new contract two years early, whatever it may be. I don't think that's healthy for the game. No, overall. I don't either. And I hope, Hutt, to, to your point, I, I hope – this was uh, a magical season where so many happened. I do think, like, I don't think the cornerback market is going to change that much over time or the defensive tackle market. I do think we're seeing the receiver market change because of what the college game is supplying. Well, it's more a pitch-and-catch thing, right? It's harder to find the great tight end. It's harder to find the great, a lot of things. It's easier to find the great wide receiver because of what's going on in college. Um, so, outside of wide receiver, uh, maybe a maybe there's another position or two where you're always going to have an influx of talent into the league, uh, numbers wise. So let's let's take defensive line, defensive tackle, interior defensive line, for instance, with Jeffrey Simmons. I do think there are times where it can benefit the team to do something a bit off schedule because at certain positions, the pri- and well, you can say this about any position really, but specifically on the interior defensive line and just uh, the front, um, and, and certainly at quarterback too, the price tag's only going to go up on these guys if they meet criteria, right? For instance, a year from now, if Simmons does exactly what he did last year there there's a case to be made that he can get up in the 25 per year category which would reset the market outside of Aaron Donald for interior defensive line all right which is right where he belongs um right now you can probably get a much more team-friendly contract if you structured it now on the extension and as opposed to waiting a year however um, the, the case against that would be what happened with Xavier Howard in Miami at corner where they extended him early. He outperformed the contract where the market now rose above where his play uh, was at the time, but he outperformed what the money was based on two years later where he ranked in pay for the production, he led the year, led the league in interceptions, but was like seventh or eighth in total pay at the position. So he was threatening to hold out. They gave him another extension two years after extending him early. So you can make the case that well, even if uh, we extend a player early at a non uh, non premium position, I'm not saying he uh, he's not Simmons isn't premium to the Titans premium style, player, so but I'm saying from a non quarterback. Um, and for that matter, you could make the case in most teams, wide receiver. Um, interior defensive line, normally not always a three-down player, um, treated a, a bit differently in other teams. But in case in point here, if he goes out and repeats what he's done and continues to 
climb on his overall trajectory of what they expect him to be, he's going to ask for more, more money two years from now anyway yep. because the market's going to reset. But there are cases where you can get a team-friendly deal now um, as opposed to a year from now. And next offseason is going to be about quarterback money. This year was about wide receiver money. But think about who's coming up. Uh, Lamar Jackson, who knows what happens there. You've got uh, uh, Joe Burrow, Herbert. I mean, that, that's just starting to name off the guys who are starting to Derek come in. Carr. Uh, Carr again. Yeah. Uh, so there- I don't want to do two deals. I, I mean, I'm really averse to uh, to two deals for Simmons in the time frame that you're talking about. Well, I, that would happen if he, know, if he outperforms it. And I think that's a likely scenario. And I don't want to have to keep doing it over and over. And I, again, I also worry about the precedent, right? If If you're the Tennessee Titans, a team that's not done particularly well in the first round or at the top of the draft, you finally have two big hits, two big hits who have very good first three years, and one of them forces his way out of town, and the other one convinces you to give him a, a new deal two years out. Then every player you have, I know every case is independent of each other, but you're going to get hit over the head with, you dealt Brown and you gave Jeffrey a deal. I, I either need a trade or a deal for another guy that comes in and has a good three years. And I, I wouldn't like to set that up for myself because I don't have a great history of bringing in good guys. And now every time I bring in a good guy, I'm not even going to get to year four. I mean, that, that's, that's credit to the team for drafting well, and that's also just what agents are trying to do right now yeah. to cultivate some type of movement. Um, and it always takes the other team. Like you can have the trade or new deal if another team's willing to give the team that has the rights to that player first-round pick, and then they're going to sign him to the money that you're not willing hence to pay. Hence the Eagles with A.J. Brown. You had to find that partner yeah, and that was willing to do that. Yeah, and hence the 49ers not dealing Debo Samuel and uh, D.K. Metcalf not playing the card of getting traded until now when there is no leverage, really, um, other than just missing a couple of minicamp practices. Chad, I want to get your take on this. Um, there are a number of can't miss college football games every year. Um, compared to like the, the NFL schedule, there are some mega matchups week in and week out. And looking at the top two college programs out of the SEC, Alabama and Georgia, there will be games that we can circle right now on paper that we think, oh, you know what? This, this sounds like a very intriguing matchup. But when you actually think about what the result was last year, it's not all that impressive. And so I made the point throughout today's show that we need Tennessee to get back to being Tennessee, Florida back to being Florida. Um, uh, the other examples, we can argue Auburn, LSU. But here are, here's the schedule for Alabama coming up. And just initial reaction, fourth quarter, if you're flipping through, like you may start with this game. Are you ending with this game? So games that will be competitive in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like non-blowouts based on whatever criteria you want to throw out. And Bama and Georgia blow out a lot of opponents, but yeah. they're considered the top programs in the country. Utah State. Blowout. Texas. Blowout. That's a blowout for Bama. Louisiana Monroe. Blowout. Vanderbilt. Blowout. First four games right there. Super blowout. Texas A&M. It's a solid month to start. <laughs> Texas A&M is circled. Close. Yeah, but that's, that's the game of the year. Yes, that's the one we circle. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee. 
in Knoxville, I think it'll be close in the fourth quarter. But but really though, like we, I mean, they I, were they were within the possession, and then all of a sudden it ended were, up being a rout. They, they ended up losing big, but that fourth quarter, correct me if I'm wrong, started with Tennessee down one score, and then they punted. <laughs> yeah, and then and then it was it was over quickly. But um, look, I I, I think. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable could it, to say could that. Could it I'm be close in the fourth quarter? So yes. Of, if I had to put my two of six so far. If I had to put a month's salary on that game being close no, in the fourth yeah. quarter, I'm not doing. But it. we wouldn't do that with any opponent. On I yeah. wouldn't do that it's, with any Alabama. Let's put it this opponent. way: it's the second best game so far. The okay. ones you've listed. Um, LSU. Probably a this year. That's a blowout. With what they brought in with Brian Kelly in year one, I don't think it's that close. In Austin P. That's going to be a game Let's of the keep, year. Keep going. Uh, Auburn. <laughs> the governors, though, are bringing some. Alabama, Auburn, where the coach doesn't even want to be there. That That's game's a always close, year. though. That game is almost always they close. They let 10 nothing late and couldn't even beat them last year. Uh, but you're right. It's the well, Iron they Bowl. Let, hey, the Iron Bowl is worth Mason, watching. I'm not arguing there. Derek that. Mason had a masterful coaching game right. from that game. So so within this schedule, we need, Auburn, we need Auburn back to being Auburn. Uh, Tennessee back to it, the, the Tennessee level that they've been striving for. We can throw in LSU on this schedule, too, and what is expected now with Brian Kelly. And still, there's very little we reason get, to turn them on. I, I guess, the, uh, the overall, just looking at the schedule, we get very few college football games a year. I want more of them. I want more SEC matchups. That doesn't necessarily mean those are better. But I, I want, I mean, I, I, I can go through the top college program in America and circle four garbage games. I hate that. Georgia. They're opening up against Oregon. Now, the coaching matchup here is very intriguing. intriguing. This is not a fourth quarter game. This is a route no. in the fourth quarter. Uh, Sanford. I nearly said Stanford. Sanford. I'd blowout. rather him play Stanford. Yeah. Also, South Carolina, that wouldn't have been close. <laughs> South Carolina. <laughs> blowout. Kent State. Keep going. Missouri. Let's get these games Keep going, the honestly. Auburn. Keep going. Good rivalry, probably a blowout. Vanderbilt. Keep going. Florida. Uh, that's that's one that tends to surprise in that series, but probably a blowout. Recency bias there, blowout. Um, not as bad as Vandy, but yeah. Um, Tennessee. Best blowout. game so far. Can hope blowout. Best game so far to me. Blowout. Mississippi State. Blowout. <laughs> Kentucky. Blowout. Uh, that game's at Kentucky this year for Georgia. <laughs> I love how you hesitate on the Wildcats. Like yeah, I mean, look, that, that Georgia that, Tech. That was not, if Ball. you remember, Hunt, we were listening to that game. We were at that game for the pregame show. And I they think. They were 6 0 versus 6 0. Well, they were, it was like a three point game at halftime. Maybe it's a wild And I country. think, remember, Georgia scored with like 10 seconds left in the half. Which you felt like it was over. Which so makes a nine it, or 10 point game at that point. Which makes it yeah. unlikely they, a year, second year in a row it's going to happen. Yeah. But I, we'll, we'll, it could be good. Again, they're returning. Uh, several guys. Kentucky's um, got Will Levis coming back. Nonetheless, like these are two. They're not saying I got to see that. These aren't random teams I'm picking out. These are considered to be, and they are the top two programs in America. We saw them match up twice, but that's the last roll. season. But I think you could do this any year in college football of the last fifteen. But but and here's I, the I would go even further. Let's go through Ohio State's schedule, and I'm going to tell you all of them, but two or three are going to but, be blowouts. But I don't, I don't compare Ohio State in this regard to the schedule because Alabama and Georgia are playing an SEC schedule, and I can only point to two like legitimate competitive games on paper. That's not even us hyping up a matchup to preview it. 
So I'm not trying to compare the Ohio State schedule to Alabama, which the Ohio State well, schedule for Alabama should be easier. But it's still, like on paper, there are still three to four trash matchups where we're getting very limited college football as it is, and I want more of it, but I also want better football well, moving but forward. Do you, do you want, because I can go through any number of Florida, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee schedule and give you eight close games that are going to be compelling games, but they're not one of the top three teams in the country. Exactly. So do you want a ton of compelling games? Because I can give you a ton of compelling games, Well, but I'm not going to give you a ton of compelling games for those top two or three. I'm, I'm not looking at it from... it's way too top-heavy. But I'm not looking at teams. it from the SEC fan perspective. I'm looking at this from the college football fan perspective. Uh, the, the, the marquee games for us that are going to be... We're going to be told the game of the week will feature Alabama or Georgia in some capacity this and year. Suck. And for the most part, they're not four-quarter games. Kentucky can win the rating because they're close at halftime, and it's 6-0 and against 6-0. and But one score, just like Alabama had that one score to go up double digits against Tennessee, you knew it was over. There was no coming back from that because you're not stopping them after keeping up with them in the track meet. So I, I just wish that like, if I'm rooting for three programs – it's the three common ones that you can trans Auburn, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama. I want Auburn to continue to rise, and it's only going to happen with a new staff. Next year. Uh, I want Heupel to continue the momentum because they're both playing. Um, and then you start looking around the schedule and you think, man, I, you know, Florida playing both this year. You've got uh, uh, LSU with the cross uh, matchups that we could have in the future schedule. Those are the three to four programs that I'm really hoping take the next step. Because if not, no matter what grand scheme or schedule we look at, it's it's pretty much the same result. Well, when you look at it from that perspective, I would argue that A&M has supplanted LSU as the top rival for Alabama. I mean, that side of the division, Arkansas is going to be very good too. Uh, that's, That's a game that's going to get better and better. They've gotten better, but... LSU was always that top rival. Every time LSU played Saban, Alabama, it's the one game you thought, man, yes. they're not going to get punked yes. athletically when they play them, and they're not afraid of Bama the way they played and the way and they And they won hit. a championship just not yeah. that long ago. I think A&M is now that team to compete with Bama. Florida has fallen in the last couple of years under Dan Mullen. They were always that team for Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee is trying to supplant Florida yes. and Kentucky, quite frankly. And they're predicted to do that. And even though they beat Kentucky pretty regularly – Kentucky's been the better program in the top 25 for the last few years. So who's going to take that spot? I think what you have, Hutton, if we're just looking top two, top two, A&M, Bama should be pretty close. I'm even hesitant to say that because of the A&M quarterback situation, honestly, compared to Bama's. But what the SEC East needs is for Tennessee to not have a sophomore slump with Josh Heupel and continue to score a ton of points and be exciting on offense and give Georgia, Florida, Bama fits. Win one of them. They could beat Florida at home. You just shock the world and beat Bama or Georgia. I don't think it's going to happen. But win one of those three and play close with the other two. Because, I mean, you're right. The sport in the conference will only be better when Auburn, Tennessee especially, get better because of their common opponents. And that just hasn't been the case in recent years. And also, Georgia and Alabama have just taken off from everyone else. They're just so much better Everyone else. that it's not – some of these yeah, teams are staying the same and they're, they continue to rise above them. Yes, and the only way we see more competitive football is for the teams right beneath them in their conference 
to take that next step. Not out of conference when college football playoff time. More on this, plus uh, the NBA draft and reasons to watch. We'll put a question mark on that. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We'll discuss the losses of crypto with some big sponsorships, um, stadiums, arenas. Crypto's pulling out of some sponsorship dollars. uh, Could impact how sports companies and uh, teams are making money. Uh, good morning, football, Thursday night football editions as well. NBA draft tomorrow night, Chad. Will you be watching? I, I will be watching uh, the beginning of it because there is some intrigue at the top in the order of Boncaro, of Jabari Smith, and Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. And you can throw uh, Shaden Sharp from Kentucky, Jaden Ivey, uh, Benedict Matherin from Arizona into that mix. I think the top of the draft is interesting. I think after that, we're going to get a lot of Fran Fraschilla giving us uh, oh. European updates. I will say. Or overseas updates on guys. You, you have named more players in this draft than in recent drafts. Like, uh, just yep. that come to mind. Well, so I'm also interested in Kennedy positive. Chandler from Tennessee, who's probably a late, mid to late first round pick. I won't be waiting through that. No, I'll, I'll see the Twitter update on that. I won't be watching <laughs> Very easy event to follow on Twitter. <laughs> Very we'll have, it is. Uh, we'll have someone send us that. We'll have Davey uh, alert us whenever Kennedy Chandler's drafted uh, tomorrow night. Be uh, looking around pick number 26. Drafted. Davey. That's where I saw him mock to the Rockets at 26. To the Rockets, and then he immediately is traded, but wears the Houston yeah. hat while he's traded to Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, or uh, yeah, he's going he's gonna to be a, a Thunder you know, by the end of the night. He's going to have three different destinations. He's going to go Rockets, Pacers, Thunder. Yeah, I still don't night. understand like the wearing of the hat after it's on the screen. It's awkward, you've been man. traded twice. I don't know why they just don't allow the team that traded for him to, to announce. Have, it's yeah. just a, it's a weird system they have set up to confirm all this. The crypto waterfall and Trevor Lawrence losing his signing bonus over this. We lead off with that, plus 360 headlines next across the Outkick Network.